Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50% to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. Happy International Women's Day to one and uh, all. And very much we're going to focus later on about women out in the workforce and how women cope out in the workforce, particularly when they have uh, children. And is there guilt attached uh, to that? How does it affect uh, a a woman's uh, career, particularly when she makes that decision to have uh, a family? And actually, I was reading in iReach Insights, they did some research and they found that women must overperform to get some kind of to get the same recognition as men in the workplace and 54% of adults felt that that if they work with women or if they're women themselves they feel they have to overperform just to get the very same recognition as a man. A total of 64% of adults think women carry a huge guilt burden particularly if they have to take time off to look after a sick uh, child. The research also found 42% of women believed having children actually did affect their career path. And Susan Dwyer is the founder of the consultancy company Rise Up and she's been pointing out today that 24% of senior leadership roles are now occupied by women but that means that 76% of men are holding those senior leadership roles and she makes the point we all know that women make great uh, leaders. That is not up for debate. It's What's up for debate is what companies are doing and what companies need to do to nurture and develop and to retain talent, particularly some of this female uh, talent. And she reckons that that's where the focus needs to be. And International Women's Day uh, today, uh, we've moved on a long way in this country because this year we are marking 50 years since the marriage bar was uh, lifted. And it really is hard to get your head around what previous generations of women had to do as soon as they deci- they fell in love, decided to get married, unless they were a teacher or unless they were a nurse. Once they got married, they had to give up their uh, job. It really is. And I know for younger women, they find that really hard to understand. And it's only 50 years ago that we lifted the, the marriage bar. So many of our parents, many of our mothers uh, would have been forced to give up work. And indeed, there will be people listening to this programme that were of that generation who would love to have stayed on uh, working. But as soon as they got married, it wasn't even as soon as they had children. It was as soon as they got married, they had to leave their uh, job. But the good news is that female participation in the labour force has reached record levels in the last number of years. So, so many women are making that decision that they want to go out to uh, work. 
And just staying on the whole uh, theme of women, the uh, referendum on gender equality within the Constitution, the Taoiseach Leo Varadkar has now said that that referendum is going to be held later on this year. Now, the gender equality referendum is likely to be held in November and it will focus on amending the Constitution so that it enshrines gender equality and in particular they're going to remove references to women in the home. The government intends to have the proposed amendments published by the end of June and of course we'll all remember that the referendum was called for by the Citizens Assembly on gender equality and there was also a special joint Oireachtas Committee on gender equality and all of them said what we need now is a referendum. We need to change some aspects of the the, uh, Constitution. Um, It's calling for Article 41 to reflect that it protects female life with the protection afforded to the family and not limited to marital families. As the Constitution goes, it's just marital families. So it's to, and we know there are a lot more families than just people who decide to get married. And the one I think that certainly... I'll be glad to see removed and I wonder will other women and men be glad to see this one removed. It's Article 41.2 of the Constitution. That is the article that references that mothers should not be by economic necessity be forced to work to the, the neglect of their duties in the home. And I know that's one that really rattles and riles uh, so many people that if, if a woman has to go out to work, OK, she can go out to work, but she must not neglect her duties in the home. And that's actually enshrined in our constitution. The Citizen Assembly has called for that particular article to be completely deleted. You don't tinker around with it. You don't change the wording. You simply get rid of it. And it was a vote by 93 members of the Assembly that resulted in 90 of the Assembly members calling for the removal of that reference to women's work within the home. Now, the Equality Minister, who is Rodrigo Gorman, he says he intends to publish the general scheme of one or more referendum bills by the end of June. And by doing that, then the Electoral Committee, they can be briefed and the bill, our bills, if there's going to be more than one referendum, can be considered by the Oireachtas. And then, of course, it'll go to a public vote later in the year. And the enactment of the bill uh, should be completed concluded by September then which would open the way uh, with the uh, way and allow the time for a referendum to be held in November and referendums by their nature they also have a tendency to be a little bit contentious it'll be interesting to see what will be the debates around this particularly around that around removing that wording from the constitution that women if they go out to work they 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 shouldn't neglect their duties in the home your thoughts welcome to this morning this is Cork Today on C103. Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork Today at C103.ie. Shocking to see in the Irish Examiner yesterday a photograph of a decapitated little lamb that was discovered on a farm on the outskirts of Cork City after a dog attack on a flock of sheep. Dan Cronin is the owner of that farm. It's at Lower Killeen's near Blarney. And Dan joins me this morning. Good morning to you, Dan. Good morning, Patricia. Dan, what a savage attack on such defenceless uh, animals. How and when did you discover this dog attack on your farm? Well, Patricia, we were actually finishing up about half past five, maybe quarter to six on Friday evening. And the next thing, I was just coming out of my own front door and a lady came up to me saying that there was a sheep on the road. Now, Patricia, none of our animals are ever out on the road. Okay. 
So we went down and to, to, to our shock, um, she was after being attacked by dogs and there was a, a sheep inside in the, they drove them out, out over the ditch, onto the main road and into the river as well. So we had to take sheep actually out of the river. Because that's what sheep will do. They'll just, they'll try, they, they can't defend themselves so they'll try and run. Well, Patricia, well, our, our um, ditch now is all um, all barbed wire and everything. So one of them just actually ran into the into it, and they actually caught her and they they destroyed her. Wait, she was in bits when I found her. How many animals did you lose, Dan? Well, we're after losing. Uh, being honest, we're after losing five at the moment. We have another little lamb which isn't good, and. Being honest, Patricia, you could actually phone me now, maybe, if you were actually to be the state next week, it could be 10, because there are some of them badly injured, and some of them, you know, they'll just, some they could die overnight now after being chased by dogs. Yeah, it's funny, I've spoken, unfortunately, so many times in the past with other farmers uh, where this very same thing has happened and the amount that say that that it's afterwards they can die from shock and if any of them stress, they, they, stress and if they can they can abort if they were pregnant and it's yes. just horrific what the animals uh, go through has this ever happened on your farm before Dan? Years upon a long long time ago for sure we be quite honest we got out of sheep because of that but my daughters my two daughters are mad for sheep and I said, look, we'll go, we got, we got the sheep. They look after them. They do everything with them. So they were absolutely devastated when they actually came on top to see what happened. Oh, that's just, and your daughters are young, are they? They're, and, well, well, my, it's the, it's the oldest daughter that usually looks after them. She's 12. Kira. Kira. Yeah. God help her. And they're almost like pets to her, are they? Well, you see, we actually, yeah. She has names on them all. She <laughs> minds them. She she adores them. She gets up before she goes to school to feed them. She does everything with them. And there's one injured one that you're trying to look after. She, there's a picture of her. Yeah, there's a little lamb now. That's one that we're trying to save. And she's looking after morning, noon and night. What, will it make it, do you think? Uh, kind of, being honest, 50-50. Yeah, it's hard I couldn't. Know. I couldn't say she would. I couldn't say she wouldn't. You do, I can't answer that one. Okay, do, do you believe, looking at the damage that, that was done, do you believe it was more than one dog involved? It was three dogs involved because a neighbour actually saw the dogs and they all had collars on them. They were uh, two blot- type lotchers and a little small little dog. He was a bit a type of a Jack Russell. Yeah, and of course when they get into... They, 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 they may not necessarily all be owned by the one person. It could be. Well, it's yeah. when they get into a pack. It's almost like a pack mentality, isn't it? The That's the problem. And all I'm afraid now is, Patricia, is we're where we we're trying to look after what we have. But the thing is now, we're petrified in case they come back because when dogs get a taste of blood, they'll come back. If not your farm, it could be another farm. Another farm, yeah. So, and there's a, like I'm here in Killeen's, there's more sheep out in Blarney. And, you know, it's just, it's fierce worrying altogether. And it's lambing season, isn't it? This is the time of the year that there's little lambs out in the fields. Oh, yes, they killed lambs, yes. Well, we had lambs before Christmas and they got them. And we had lambs about three weeks old and we've yours on the point of lambing. 
That's what, a very moment. What, what is your message to dog owners, Dad? Well, Patricia, be quite honest. Listen, I have no problem with people with dogs if they control them. But there's people walking around there and they they just want a, a, a big majority of people actually look after animals and take them and mind them. But there's people out there and they just let the dogs loose and they can't control them. I just ask him to please, please have a small respect and just think of other people's property and other people's livestock. But, I mean, I, I assume those dogs were on their own. They didn't have uh, owners with them. Well, Patricia, I don't know, to be quite honest, because, you see, around here, there's a lot of hunting, right? Mm. We don't, being honest, look, I don't interfere with them, they don't interfere with me as long as they stay away. But I, I, it's in the back of my mind that there was people with these dogs. Oh, I would hate to think that anybody, anyone, anyone would have witnessed that and, and allowed... No, I'd say that they just stayed above oh, in the next field or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm fully convinced, to be quite honest, the, these dogs were out hunting with someone and they just ran and walked. Saw the and sheep and, and off they yeah. went. Um, yeah. I know you've reported it to the local uh, Gardaí in Blarney. Yes. Uh, what did they say? Did they give you any hope of finding the owners of these dogs? Well, to be honest, they, they are, the guards now couldn't be nicer. They were on the, on the spot straight away. They, I couldn't say one word against them. They actually said, look, there's nothing really they can do. They just took a statement. You actually can't, you can't track these dogs down. And you're, unfortunately, you're not the first sheep attack uh, in recent times. And, and hand on heart, this won't be the last. Of course. No, well, I'm, I'm actually here to you know, inside the house. And when I come off the phone, my first job is to go to make sure that they're OK again. My hat is in my mouth. I just can't rest. Would you consider restricting people's access to your land? Oh, that's yes, yes. Well, that's been going. That's been. I have. I've been restricting that. We never going back to my father's time. We never interfere with people. But no, you just you can't. I can't. Anyone I'd say, I'd have to put them out. Mm. I have to because you know, them days are gone. It's be nice, Patricia. Them days are gone. You can't. My livelihood now is I stay here with them. You know. Yeah, and your do- and for your daughters as well. It's that's really well, it's exactly, very hard on them. It's just like somebody's making the point how terrible for those poor sheep and and for the entire Cronin family. Kira seems like a lovely, caring little little girl. She'll do well in life, and she seems that she is really an animal lover. Is is she, Dan? Oh my God, she's you couldn't believe how camogie and and animals now are they are her passions. Right. Bless her heart. Like she, like she, before she went to school, now she went out to check all her animals before she went to school this morning and she'll come home and she'll change her clothes and she'll be back farming again doing what she loves. And it's heartbreaking then to see all their hard work gone within an hour, whatever. Oh, I don't know how long the dogs were there, but, you know, it's just desperate. Because that that photograph yesterday of the lamb de- decapitated Dan, yes. the, I I don't think I've ever. I mean, I've seen horrific photographs in the past. I don't think I've ever seen a dog to do that before. That was savage. Well, Patricia, that's bad. But being quite honest, I have more on my phone, and I could not show them to anyone. If if anyone, if I show, if they got on, 
if you actually saw them, you wouldn't, you just wouldn't believe what what carnage that I had to face the following day. It, it was unbelievable. Animals just literally torn to bits. It's just and it's, see what I'd be afraid of then is my daughter is twelve and eight, and uh, I'll be here in the yard, and they go and get their sheep. Like if they came on top of these oh, dogs, oh, it doesn't bear thinking about. That doesn't bear thinking about. Would the dogs turn on you? Don't know. Yeah, you don't. You, not when a dog gets into that sort of mentality, that exactly. attack, that attack mentality. And I saw. Oh, and English is writing about it again in today's Examiner and the uh, the IFA. Um, I think they're going before the Oireachtas, the That's Agriculture right. Oireachtas Committee. Uh, you know, they, they, they're estimating that there's up to 300 dog attacks a year. Like oh, 300 yeah. of them. But a lot, a lot of people don't, don't um, report it. Because they see what's the point, what's going, what can well, happen. You know, yeah, like, like being quite honest, I was only lucky to, to make this what, to get all of you on board but like what what can anybody do for me nobody nothing can do for me. it's my problem nobody else's yeah. I've no dogs I can't get compensation and there's no chance of finding out who, who owns the dogs no no, nobody's, no, not a, no, no one's going to come forward and say sorry sorry Dan yes, they no. were my dogs yeah. All right, listen, pass on our best wishes in particular to poor Kira. My heart breaks um, for her and, and to you and, and the rest of the family. It's, it's an awful, awful thing that has happened uh, to you and hopefully it'll never happen again. But uh, thank you for taking time out to talk to us. I really Patricia, do appreciate it. Patricia, thank you very much for your time. Good morning to Have you. Have a lovely evening. Bye, 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 bye. That is uh, Dan Cronin, the owner of that farm, Lower Killeen's near Blarney, where that savage, savage attack on the sheep happened. This is Cork Today on C103. Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork Today at C103.ie. Yesterday, during our discussion on the government announcing that it will not be extending the ban on evictions beyond the end of this month, Adele Condon of Threshold in Cork says it is possible that families with children could end up presenting at a Garda station looking for a safe place to sleep due to having moved out of their rented property and not able to find anywhere else to live. Solidarity TD Mick Barry has different advice than heading to a Garda station and he joins me. Uh, Good morning to you, Mick. Good morning to you, Patricia. Your message is simple enough. It's ignore the eviction notice if a family has nowhere else to go. You're saying to people, break the law. Uh, no, what I'm saying to people is that uh, if you have a notice to quit um, and uh, by leaving your property, you will be going into homelessness. And particularly if you have a family and children, right, um, that um, rather than make yourself homeless by complying with the eviction order, uh, you have the option of overholding. Uh, which does involve staying put. Now, um, overholding or staying put is something that's being done by many, many tenants across the state uh, at the moment. It is not a criminal act. It's not a criminal act. Uh, It does bring you into a dispute uh, situation with your landlord, and the landlord is entitled and probably will take the case before the Residential Tenancies Board. Uh, and they will give a, a, a ruling, but it is something that will that can buy you more time. Now, the fact that uh, ordinary families would have to even consider an option like that uh, is a scandal, and it's a sign of the 
position the government have now put people in, because I believe the decision that was made yesterday was a really reckless uh, decision. I think it was an extreme decision, a decision made by a government of free market extremists, because they know, they know, everyone who has eyes in their head and, 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 and ears open knows that there are a large number of people uh, who will be out the door within a relatively short period of time after the ban is lifted. And there will be a surge in homelessness at a time when there's more people, including more children, in emergency accommodation than ever before in the history of this state. But the cabinet ministers are saying that they were warned that if they did extend the eviction ban, they say it it would lead to a reluctance among both small scale and international investors to come into the Irish rental market, that it will put people off becoming landlords. So long term, we could end up in a worse situation. Well, they would say that, wouldn't they? Uh, Because this is a government of landlords themselves. Uh, when I look across at the Fine Gael benches, uh, for every three deputies I see, one of them is a landlord. When I look over at the Fianna Fáil uh, deputies, for every four of them I see, uh, one is a landlord. And yesterday's decision was cheered. It, it, it created a warmth in the heart of the vulture funds, uh, the so-called investment funds, while striking a chill into the heart of renters across the country. They've come down on the side uh, of the landlords uh, on this, and of course, um, but yet, but yet, we are seeing a lot of landlords, particularly the small landlords, people, the accidental landlords, people with one and two, one or two properties. They're moving. They want to get out of it because they're saying there isn't money to be made in it. There's too much red tape involved, and like we know, we have a housing crisis. We, we can't build houses fast enough. We need to have these rental properties. Okay, so just on that. Uh, Uh, First of all, I I don't believe that landlords are getting out because uh, there isn't money to be made from it. I believe there's a lot of money to be made from landlordism at the moment. And you look at the rents that people are being forced to pay and it kind of points in that direction. Um, um, Yeah, but I I think the main reason landlords are getting out is because they they want to, to sell properties and get a good price before the market begins to move in the opposite direction. I think that's what's really going on here. Um, but but, what, but, but, but uh, what about landlords, Mick, who need the property for themselves? We're hearing of people who've returned from overseas. They, ha- they were renting the property out because they were living abroad. They're now back. They're technically homeless because they can't move back into their property. And then we've got other people who have a family member that's homeless that they want to move into the, to the property. Are they not yeah, well, entitled my, to their property my, back? My, 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 my colleague Richard Boyd Barrett made the point uh, in the doll about people moving back who would, it's, it, it would be for, for them moving back themselves from having worked abroad, that there could be uh, an arrangement made where there would be exceptions that would be examined on a case-by-case basis. But even in a case like that, uh, I think if it was a young single person who might be able to rent elsewhere, displacing a family with young children, I don't think it's an absolute uh, right. But I think in some circumstances, uh, yes, case by case. But just on the the, the kind of maybe key points that you raised there, because I think it is a question that people have about landlords exiting the market. There is a new um, policy in place, uh, which is known as the, the tenant in situ scheme, 
whereby uh, if a landlord is uh, evicting a tenant for on grounds of sale of property, mm-hmm. uh, that the, the councils uh, can step in, uh, can purchase the property. There's a fund there for them to do it, funding stream available for them to do it, uh, and keep the tenant in situ without uh, being evicted. Now, I think that's a good scheme. I think it's being applied uh, unevenly by councils across the state. Some councils are pursuing it aggressively enough. Other councils uh, are, are, are certainly not. I think it needs to be done aggressively across the state. But I also think that the arrangement where it can only be put in place for someone who would qualify for social housing, who's below the income thresholds for social housing, only in those cases can it be done. I think it's I think people who have to be on the HAP scheme, isn't it? Yeah, I, yeah. I think that the income thresholds need to be raised. I mean, if you're living in Denmark or you're living in Austria and you're on the average wage or you're on higher, I mean, higher than the average wage, but you're a working person, you can qualify for social housing. Uh, you don't have to be, you know, a lower income uh, situation. And, and that should be uh, what applies in this country as well. Of course, it would only work if you had a massive increase in the supply of social and affordable housing which is something the government have been slow, very, very slow to move on. And the, and the, the idea of new regulations allowing tenants to have first bid on the house if, if the house has been sold, while on paper that seems like a great idea. But when I was thinking about that, uh, Mick, a lot of people who would be contacting us would love to be able to buy a property, but they're paying so much on rent, they can't raise a deposit. Uh, they might not even be able to get a mortgage. So giving them first bid first shot at the house isn't of much use if they can't buy the property, is it? Yeah, I agree with you 100% there. I mean, obviously there will be uh, some people will have their situation sorted out in that way. But for every one that there is, there will be many, many others who will say, I'd love to, but I can't. And it all boils boils down to a question of uh, uh, cash here. So we need to look at rights for renters. It's not just about getting people onto the the, uh, property ladder. Um, that's, That's the the core of it there. Can I can I at this stage make mention of something that's that's coming up next week that I think might be of interest to your listeners on this? Please do. Okay. So um next Tuesday night, that's Tuesday the fourteenth, the Tuesday before Paddy's Day, at half past seven, um there's a major public meeting being organized in the Metropole Hotel in Cork City. And uh, it's being called now in the aftermath of the lifting of the eviction ban and the surge of homelessness that's on its way. The title of the meeting is um, that we need uh, emergency housing in Cork. And um, I will host the meeting, but I've lined up um, some very good speakers uh, for this. Katrina Toomey, um, you know, from Penny Dinners will be a key speaker. Uh, Frank O'Connor, the dereliction campaigner. Great uh, guy, yeah. Great guy. We've sp- spoken to him many times, yeah. Matthew Wayne, who's the um, union organiser in the Unite Union for Construction Workers, uh, will be there. And, you know, I think the government are taking the people for granted. They're taking the renters for granted. That was an outrageous decision yesterday. And what needs to happen now is there needs to be a pushback in the opposite direction. The government feeling pressure from below from people on the housing issues and if this meeting can help to organize that or be a step towards that then i would be very happy um we've got a big room booked all of your uh, listeners are invited 
So it's next Tuesday at half seven. Okay, in, the in, the, in, in the Metropole. Okay, some uh, comments in from listeners. Somebody says uh, a lot of, you can't say a, lot, a number of tenants, ruin houses. Not everybody, uh, yeah, not everyone I know who are landlords are terrible people. Many of them have trouble with their tenants and some don't have any respect for homes. And somebody else says there's too much red tape and paperwork involved. Why do landlords, for example, have to register every year? It's a money making racket. Can we do anything to make landlords continue renting um, and stay in the market? I mean, I I know the Residential uh, Residential Tenancies Board was saying 43,000 homes have left the rental market over the last five years. And once they're sold, those properties rarely return uh, to the rental market. There are a number of landlords who are thinking of getting out and that's why they're happy with the eviction ban. Do you think the government need to do something put measures in place for landlords? Well, on the specific questions that were asked, uh, I mean, a tenant who who wrecks the place uh, should be evicted. (laughs) I'm certainly not arguing anything uh, otherwise, right? Um, uh, You know, tenants who engage in serious antisocial behaviour and who wreck property uh, should not have be covered by these uh, rights. So I've no issue with that. Um, as for landlords registering every year with the Residential Tenancies Board, uh, I don't have a problem with that. Uh, we have a history in this country of an unregulated market uh, where landlords, um, you know, there was there was a, 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 a lot of things that were meant to be done for tenants, a lot of things that were meant to be done in some cases in terms of tax uh, that weren't done. So having a properly regulated market, I, I don't have an issue with that. But certainly antisocial behaviour of, of an extreme kind and wrecking places should, should not be covered yeah. by an eviction. Yeah. And, so and in terms of, yeah. Sorry. In terms of the bigger question of, of, of what can be done, I, I would frame it a slightly different way, uh, Patricia, as I would. But I, I think for too long we have had an over-reliance um, on landlords operating on a for-profit basis. Now, I know that most of them have been small landlords with one or two houses, uh, ordinary people in many cases, um, uh, with a second home that they're, they're, they're re- letting out. But okay, It's 94% it, it, of all residential rental accommodation in Ireland is non-institutional or private landlords. So the bulk of them are your small landlords. Yeah, but that number is falling. The, the, the big investors, the vulture funds, the corporate landlords uh, uh, are really moving in here now. And they're the ones in particular who are putting pressure on the government to lift the uh, ban uh, uh, yesterday and I I think we need to look at uh, providing housing and apartments good quality reasonable rents uh, increasingly through direct state investment and I'm not saying that we won't have a private landlord sector but I am saying that the massive over-reliance on it that we've had has walked us into some of the trouble that we're in at the moment and we need to move sharply away from that. Okay, Dennis uh, says, so let's say I'm willing to go along with uh, Deputy McBarry's idea and the sheriff comes along and gives me the boot because I didn't comply with the notice to quit and then I lose my good rental reference and I'm taken to court and I get a conviction and I get a criminal record and I'll end up losing my uh, deposit. I'll never be able to find a new place to rent. You say, yeah, you, 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 say yeah, you say that they're not breaking the law by, by saying this overholding? Dennis raises uh, some important questions there and they are questions that um, uh, always come up in a discussion uh, like this. People have the idea that if you overhold 
uh, that like it's the next day the sheriff is at your door and you know uh, people break into your house and they put your your belongings on the side of the street that is that is not the way it operates that is not legal right uh, you, you, if you overhold you it is not a criminal offense uh, if you overhold you're in a dispute with your landlord now the, the first stage first stage is to go to the residential tenancy board which the landlord will almost invariably do and there will be a hearing there and there will be a, an order given against you if you defy at that stage well then you're getting into more tricky legal territory all right but certainly up to that stage um uh, you are not a committing a criminal okay you yeah i see now what uh, you're saying you're saying that, use that, that it to buy you're saying use it to buy time is what you are saying rather than i mean i i, I still um and, and i know it's going to happen the thought of a, a young family turning up at a guard station saying because we we have a problem with emergency accommodation we don't have enough emergency accommodation and if we get a tsunami of homeless people there isn't going to be any room at the inn uh, and we're going to have people turning up at, at guard stations so what you're saying in those cases it'll buy you a bit of time it will buy time and that's very interesting what you say about the guard stations because i questioned the t-shock on the issue of the lifting of the eviction ban in the doll yesterday and i asked him a couple of simple questions first question was can you give a guarantee an assurance to people that if they are evicted as a result of you lifting this ban that there will be space for them uh, in the emergency homeless services provided across the state all right what do you say uh, i asked him could he give a guarantee to people uh, a rock solid assurance to people that if they are evicted in say april may or june that there will be a place for them in the emergency uh, homeless services that are provided across the state. He didn't answer that question. And when I had to interrupt him to say, answer the question, he sailed on and, and ignored it again. And I also asked him whether the government had done their homework on this and had done some serious research before deciding to lift the ban on whether the emergency homeless services across the state can cope with the expected surge that will take place in evictions and homelessness in April, May and June. And again, he was silent on that issue. As I say, a reckless decision, a reckless decision. OK, well, I know DePaul, I know the charity DePaul, isn't there, and they run by Vincent DePaul. They've, op- they've a waiting list already. They say they, they certainly won't be able to provide uh, any accommodation. Uh, OK, listen, before I let you go, uh, Mick, just as a, there's a question that's come in, and it came in the last time you were on as well, and I just didn't get a chance uh, to put it to you. Somebody says, hi, when you've got Mick on the programme, please, could you ask him, is there any news on the referendum on water and the transfer of local authority water service workers into Irish Water or Ishka Erin as it is now. It's from Mike in Bantry. Hey Mike, how you doing? Uh, good question. Um, no, the government are uh, continuing to fudge and to try and kick the can down the road in relation uh, to that. Um, uh, they are under pressure from a range of opposition deputies in the Dáil and also now the four trade unions that organise water workers across the state uh, have uh, launched a, a, a campaign to uh, force the government to name a date uh, for a water referendum. There is talk of a referendum on housing, a constitutional right to housing. And in general, when government ministers answer questions on this, they say, if we do housing, we might do water and housing on the same day, right? Mm. Um, but as of now, we do not have a date, but we will keep the pressure on 
uh, no question about that. Okay, because I know this to be the the gender equality referendum. They're talking about having that at the end of November. So could they could they have it on the same day? Only time will tell. Mick, we leave it there. Thank you for that, and thanks for joining Thank us on you. the program. Sure. Uh, good morning to you. That is Solidarity Cork uh, Doll Deputy Mick Barry. This is Cork Today on C103. Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork Today at C103.ie. C103 presents the Clonakilty Park Hotel, West Cork Rally, on March 17th to 19th in Clonakilty. The cream of Irish and British rally stars come to take on the roads of West Cork. Action gets underway with the ceremonial start in Clonakilty Town Centre on Friday night, March 17th. The Clonakilty Park Hotel West Cork Rally. Fun and excitement for all the family. March 17th to 19th in Clonakilty with Cork's greatest hits, C103. You're listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed some of your thoughts and comments coming in with regard to the sheep kill that I spoke about when I uh, spoke with uh, poor old Dan Cronin from Killeen's outside of Blarney about devastating attack on sheep and lambs on his lamb on his farm last Friday. It was Friday afternoon because he said it was at about half five quarter to six packing up for the day when a neighbour came and said there's a there's a sheep out on the road and when, when he went down said well, it, it happened uh, in the afternoon. Uh, somebody and he, when I was talking to him I said that the photograph that had been shown in yesterday's examiner was one of the little lambs who was completely decapitated I don't think I've ever seen that before and he said that he has worse much worse photographs that he literally couldn't put up on social media you couldn't put into the press because they are just so horrific they literally some of those lambs and sheep ripped apart savage savage attack well that's prompted somebody to say on the dog kills I think if a video exists if anybody has a video of dogs attacking sheep are those photographs like what Dan spoke about really horrific photographs I reckon they should be shown on TV as a warning every night put them up on all channels it might make some people see sense when it comes to where are their dogs and what are their dogs doing and then Emer in Clonakilty says there was an ad she said back in the 80s that she felt was very impactful at the time it was kind of a cartoon ad it showed a family pet living with the family and then time for the dog to go out at night so the dog gets left left off out and then of course you see the dog teaming up with other dogs and changes from this lovely family pet into a vicious hunting dog and going after an attacking sheep um, Emer says she heard this ad being mentioned again prior to Christmas and there was talks about re-showing the ad which said she hasn't heard anything uh, since and we've just we discussed this ad again about I'd say 10 years ago it is you are right it's nearly 40 years ago when that ad first came out some will remember it it was a Department of Agriculture ad and it was exactly as Emer said it was to remind dog owners about the dangers of letting their pets run free particularly during a lambing season and it was in like a little cartoon it was an animated dog. The dog's name was Bonzo the dog and it ran on RTE in 1984. My memory would say it ran for a few years and what the the ad basically, exactly as Emer said, the dog called Bonzo 
is let out by his owners as if off you go now for the night joins up with a pack of other dogs and then goes on to attack a uh, flock of sheep and then the tagline at the end of the ad was keep your dog under control running free he can be a killer and I'm sure the end of the ad was the dog coming back in and the door being opened going oh come in Bonzo and the dog kind of like sneering at the camera going you haven't a clue what I've been up uh, to now I know back in March of 2013 uh, somebody had tracked down the actual video and put it up on YouTube and it was shared by a lot of people and there was calls back then because at the time there had been a number of attacks on sheep in various places around the country and there was a call for the ad to be shown again and Emer's right it did come up again before Christmas and I think Emer, if my memory serves me right it came up again before Christmas because there had been a number again of high profile sheep kills and then, you know, when I was talking with Dan, when I mentioned that the IFA are before the Agriculture Rockless Committee and they're going to be talking about this 300 sheep kills a year. Dan wasn't surprised by that. He said, you know, most people don't even report it anymore because they know the dogs are never going to be found. And But it's the devastating effect it can have on the farm family. And then you can even hear it with Dan. I wouldn't say the man has slept properly since uh, Friday night, constantly going to check and make sure that everything is OK. So maybe that ad could be shown again, as I say, I'm sure some of many of our listeners I certainly I certainly clearly remember that ad and it was impactful now whether it worked and whether it did stop people saying if I'm leaving the dog out do I know where the dog is going 0818 103 103 our lines are open a couple of people in um the eviction ban and landlords and my chat with Deputy Mick Barry and we mentioned during the course of it some of the rules and regulations and the red tape that landlords are tied up in at the moment and some of that is causing landlords to say this is just too much hard work I'm getting out of it and we know that they're taxed differently uh, to say what institutional landlords are taxed so for a lot of them they feel that the money isn't even worth what they may have initially got involved for and then of course you've got accidental landlords people People who never wanted to be landlords bought uh, bought a property, went into negative equity, weren't able to remain living in the house themselves and they're now renting uh, that property out as well. So there's a lot of different reasons why people become uh, landlords. But somebody was on about the residential tenancy boards and part of the red tape is that you've got to register every uh, year. And Mick Barry says he saw nothing wrong with that. He, he didn't have an issue with that. But uh, And I'm assuming this is a landlord says, all well and good if you're changing tenants. I can understand then why you need to register with the residential tenancy board but having to do it every year it's a money racket so there's a charge attached to having to get onto the residential tenancy board every year to say that the tenant is still in place and Eta who is a landlord obviously listening with great interest to Deputy Mick uh, Barry now Eta says from the outset they don't have any HAP tenants but she said listening to Deputy Mick Barry advising people to stay in their homes if they get a notice to quit from the landlord uh, particularly if the landlord needs to sell the property property, Eta felt it was just awful of an elected representative to be telling people to do that. Eta says, as a landlord, if you've paid off the mortgage, property is now now your own and you're in a position that you want to, to sell it. It feels like you no longer have any control over your property. Landlords are getting out of the market for exactly this reason, because they feel certainly since the eviction ban came in, they feel that they have no control over their property at all. And I read a piece from an estate agent who was talking about the number of landlords 
who are deciding just not interested. I, w- I want to get out of of the, of the of the business. I mean, forty percent of property sales in the first uh, three months of last year actually involved landlords selling on an investment property. And when this estate agent was asked why, you know, you're hearing from landlords why are they selling their properties? They cite increased regulation. They cite high taxes, and they also cite tricky tenants as being top of the list and while we can give out about landlords there are very good landlords out there there are equally very bad landlords who don't look after the property but the very same can be said about tenants you've got really good tenants who will look after a property as if they own the house themselves but on the flip side of that you also have very bad uh, tenants and I take it if a landlord landlady has been stung a few times by having bad tenants I can well understand why they would want to be getting out of the game another reason that a number of small landlords are thinking of selling is the fact that we've got high property prices at the moment. So that's making the idea of selling a property much more appealing. So there are there are some different reasons and every reason for each landlord, of course, uh, will be different. And actually just last week, Focus Ireland, who deal with homeless people, along with the Chartered Accountants of Ireland, they launched a briefing paper which called on the government to introduce targeted measures to help keep some of these small scale landlords in the private rental sector and obviously Focus Ireland are coming at this from it will help to ease the housing uh, crisis and Pat Dennigan who is the CEO of Focus Ireland said there should be any of these new uh, proposals any of these new measures should be targeted particularly at landlords who are considering evicting their tenants because they want to sell the property or they're considering doing it over the next few years. The, he says measures should be put in place to convince them that it's in their own interest to stay and please don't evict the people who are living in your house at the moment but something needs to be done to encourage more of the smaller landlords to uh, remain and stay as uh, as, um, landlords. And of course, when the eviction ban was introduced in November of last year, it was introduced, as Leo Varadkar correctly pointed out, it was introduced to try to stop the number of people ending up in emergency accommodation. And they were hoping, the government were hoping, that by putting the eviction ban in place, we would see less and less people needing emergency accommodation. But that has not been the case because the latest figures show that the number of people homeless in need of emergency accommodation has risen for the seventh consecutive month. So obviously the government is saying what they put in the eviction ban for to keep people out of emergency accommodation hasn't worked. Now, you'd have to come back at them straight away and say, but it has kept a, a number while some people have ended up homeless. There were also a, and I don't know, have we the full figures on, on how many people have been kept out of homelessness because they got a notice to quit, but because the eviction ban was in place, they have been able to remain. I mean, Edel Conlon gave us the figure. Was it, I'm open to correction, but I think it was 369, it was around the 350 mark anyway, of people that these, this is just people that Threshold in Cork are dealing with. They all have valid notices to quit. So those, all of those 350 odd people, I don't know if they're families, individuals, couples, whatever, pensioners she mentioned, all of those will have to vacate the properties that they are currently renting and it'll be done, it'll be in a phased basis between April and June. So and many of those, if they can't get another rental property and, you know, 
we wish them luck with trying to get a rental property. I saw a, fig- a figure yesterday of, I think it's nationwide, there's just over a thousand. There's the figure. Uh, this is the latest report from daft.ie, uh, the property website. And there are just 1,096 homes available to rent. That was at the start of February and it's down 20% on the same time uh, last year. So you have people already in homeless emergency accommodation looking to rent those properties on top of the people who because of the eviction ban now will be joining that queue of people trying to rent properties. So yes, are we going to see more people homeless? For sure, for sure because of the eviction ban. And while we know and uh, Mick Barry clearly making his point this morning on behalf uh, as an opposition uh, TD, it isn't just opposition TDs who are upset about the removal of this uh, eviction ban. I listened with great interest to the Green Party Dublin Central TD, uh, Nessa Horgan, and she condemned the actions of her own party leader, Eamon Ryan, in agreeing on this move to end the eviction ban, saying it didn't represent the values of the Green Party. Uh, she said that, it, when we know it was the three coalition leaders were, were together having the meeting, she said that if the coalition leaders are lifting the eviction ban, then she says there was nobody at that meeting to speak to Green Party values and Green Party policies. And she's stating that even though her party leader was one of the three at that meeting. Nasser Horgan has, of course, only recently rejoined the party, having served a suspension along with uh, Patrick Costello and has struggled to reconcile a number of the decisions her party's leadership has taken in government. And actually, I'm sure it was Patrick Costello has called for the publication of the legal advice provided uh, to the government on the uh, eviction uh, ban. And he made the point that there are plenty of learned barristers out there who say it is perfectly constitutional uh, to continue the eviction ban. But the government say no, they got legal advice saying there could be a challenge to the constitution. 0818103103. John Paul taking your calls and very quickly, Mossy in West Cork makes a pretty valid point this morning when it comes to housing. Hi, Patricia. I heard a wise man once say, once upon a time, it took one wage income within the family to raise a family. Back then you could buy a family home and you could raise a family and you could do it all on one wage coming through the front door. And back then it was at a time when they had larger families. But very different now. Now it takes two incomes plus at times the bank of mum and dad to raise a family or to even think about buying a home. The cost of living has gone through the roof literally within those uh, few years. People are really struggling, particularly those trying to buy a property for the first time. That's Mossy in West Cork. Thank you for that Mossy to 08 Six two, one zero three one zero three. C103 jobs. Assembly technician with the knowledge of sensors and technical drawing is required for County Limerick. CVs please to careers at designproautomation.com. Dairy power equipment have full time positions available. It's for an office administrator and a warehouse manager, technical support technician and a marketing administrator. Email info at dairypower.com Be Clean Linen and Laundry they're based in Bantry they're hiring new operatives email beclean.linen.laundry at gmail.com and pipe fitters with experience please in residential and industrial settings wanting to work in Limerick CVs to jobs at hamiltonfrench.com you'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is 
Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Connect with C103 on Twitter now. Search for our Twitter handle at C103Cork. This is Cork Today on C103. Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork Today at C103.ie. With Ireland now introducing a 40% gender quota for all political parties running for election to the Oireachtas, the announcement opens up the whole debate around women and their access to employment in this country. So, for the day that's in it, International Women's Day, we've decided to have a chat about the role of women in the workplace workforce, especially when they decide to start a family. And joining me, the current president of Network Ireland West Cork, and that's Anne-Marie Kingston, who, of course, runs White Sage Decluttering and often joins us on the programme. Good morning to you, Anne-Marie. Good morning, Patricia, and to your listeners this morning. And firstly, happy International Women's Day to you. And to you also. Okay, and I and, and I meant to say to you the last time, and it just went out of my head when we were talking. I forgot to congratulate you, uh, congratulate you on becoming president of Network Ireland West Cork. I suppose for people who are not aware of Network Ireland, just explain what your group is. So Network Ireland is a non-profit organisation where women in business and employment um, have a place to come together of like-minded women. We support one another because it's so important, Patricia. I found when I started my business, and I never, like, I suppose I never dreamt of being a businesswoman, but it can be very lonely. And it's like, it's so important to network, to get your name out there and to be supported by like-minded women. And this is what Network Ireland overall is. And we have our own branch here in Network Ireland West Cork, where we cover from, say, from Bandon all the way to Castletown Bear. Um, we have monthly events. We have a private Facebook group. We have a, we have a lot going on. There's mentoring. There's so much. Um, and obviously, the business awards is a huge part of it as well. Uh, and it's great PR opportunities to put your name out there, Patricia, because you know what? As I always, as president, my big thing this year is, my big tagline for the year is getting back in the room after COVID for two mm. years. But I'm all about stop keeping yourself a secret. Like, shine your light in the world because we only get one chance to do it and do it and grab every opportunity that you can, Patricia. It's okay, so, well so done. vital and Well done. And it's a great organisation. I know there's branches uh, all, all over the country. It really is great. Now, uh, do yeah. many women admit, uh, Anne-Marie, that having a child has affected their career? Oh, God. It has, because I know myself, I suppose. And, do you know, actually, think of it now, uh, when John Paul contacted me yesterday, but, like, I... We have three kids. So I, Ryan is nine, Quiva seven, and Cara is um, two years. But that's why there's a, such a gap, because I felt that if I went on to, and like there was always a third child in me, thankfully, but I wanted, like I pulled back from having the third child because I felt that I'd have to put my business on hold for two years, a year, whatever it may be, and have to rebuild my business. And I had to kind of just go for it and say, right, look, if it works out, did I fall pregnant? And thankfully we did. Um, but that was, that was for me, I suppose, personally, that held me back, I suppose. I would have loved to have carried probably earlier on, but it did definitely hold me back from, I suppose, having that tortured because I did think it would affect my business and building up my business and everything associated with my work because I put like five hard years into it and I felt that I have to rebuild, as I said. Yeah. And, and then there is, it's the balancing a career 
and raising a family. That is a constant struggle for for many women, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And I suppose that's why I set up my business first day, Patricia, really, I suppose, with my decluttering business was all about having that balance. I was working, say, in the financial sector previously. I would have um, then taken uh, redundancy, voluntary redundancy to start a family because I just felt that I just wouldn't get the time back again with them. Um, And when I started my business, then I wanted the balance of family and work life. So I suppose how I work my business really, I suppose I'm working three days a week. Now I'm technically I'm working probably five, but I suppose I'm on the road probably two to three days a week. And then I'm at home. Then, like, as you mentioned, like I'm there for appointments. I'm there for um, pickups, for gymnastics, for swimming. And that's where I slash in. That's where I, I suppose that's how I work my diary the days that I'm off because, again, look, my husband is a dairy farmer and it's not always, look, John is great, he'll pick up the kids the days that I'm working, but I suppose I'm the main parent that is there for the orthodontist appointments, for the doctor's appointments, for the um, vaccines, and I, that's, where I, that's where I play my role. Yeah, and amongst other working mothers that, like you personally mm. know, or even when you were back in the financial uh, sector, Working mothers suffering mammy guilt. And do we suffer mammy guilt way more than men suffer daddy guilt? Oh, the mammy guilt, it's very hard. It's a hard one because, and I see it again, like again with my work, I suppose the mammy guilt definitely comes up because I suppose, look, we prioritise everyone over ourselves. Um, And a lot of people I would have worked in the bank, um, again, would have taken, say, like, would have job shared. It would be maybe three days or four days a week. Um, and it suited them because, look, they felt that they wanted time at home. They needed to be there maybe for appointments. They might have had hospital appointments maybe every week or every two weeks. And that's why they had to find that balance, really, I suppose, that worked for them in the home. And every, look, I suppose, Patricia, every home is different. The d- dynamics are different in every home. Some men are running the house. They're doing the household jobs. They're doing the um, the pickups and everything while the when you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Wife or partner could be working full time. And I suppose it's personal in every home. But I suppose what I see is there is the mammy guilt definitely is... um, 
to do more with the mothers than on the father side of things. Yeah, yeah. And actually, uh, a piece of research that's out for International Women's Day today, it's, it's an iReach Insights research. And actually, mm-hmm. one, of the, one of the things that came out of that was 50, 64% of um, uh, people feel women carry a huge guilt burden when they take time off to look after a sick child, that they're guilty yeah. about not being in work. Yeah, yeah. I would absolutely, yeah, I would see where that would come from because it is, I suppose, there's a lot of pressure on us. Like, we're trying to run the home, we're trying to look after our kids, we're trying to run a business. And then there's pressure and stress coming from then, from work side of things that you can't, that you're not there. Maybe there's there's a staffing issue. And then, I suppose, and that's, and not every, like, you can't hand a sick child over maybe to a relative. Mm. And a lot of families, I suppose, now don't have that backup either, I suppose, maybe of childcare. Um, or maybe parents or family to help out either. You see, everyone everyone is in different circumstances, to be quite honest. Yeah, previous generations would have had maybe granny living down the road or an, or an auntie yes. or, you know, yeah, and that's, yeah. yeah, that's certainly, that circle is, is still not there because if people moved away from where they grew up, they're not going to have family yes. members uh, around them. And you mentioned job uh, sharing. Uh, am I right in saying that when it comes to job sharing, it is way more women job share than men? Oh, absolutely. It's, yeah, it's women. There's, I don't, I think in all my 13, 12, 13 years in the bank, it was always women. There was no men job sharing. No, actually, I know, no, I knew no men actually who was in job sharing. Yeah. And then when it comes to both parents who are working and, and you know, there are a lot of families who have no choice but to work in order to pay the mortgage uh, or, or whatever. Absolutely. Talk to me about Amory. How do you strike the balance about the housework that needs to be done? Oh, and I and this I do you know what we were having a conversation last night actually, Jen and myself. Um, I just something came up in my no, news feed actually. A couple or a man was taking our wife, his ex-wife was suing his her husband, um, for not being paid for all the household duties she'd done for the last fifteen or twenty years. <laughs> something crazy, and I started laughing. I was like, Jen, and he was like, Don't even go there. Um, but you know, I suppose like it's and I always do see I will. And I suppose, look, and I suppose that's the line I'm in with my decluttering services. But I will say once you do have a decluttered home, housework does become much easier. How, like a house runs much smoother when everything is organised. But, but do you believe the job? That. But do you believe the jobs should be shared? Oh, good question. And it, like, I suppose... I would probably show, yeah, there should be some kind, there should be some kind of balance because I, I suppose I, I'd always say like, look, I can't do everything. No, I'm very lucky. I suppose my kids and I and I always vote for it. And I suppose I'd have a lot of clients would say, Amory, my kids don't help vote. But you have to like, we definitely have to encourage our kids to do it because look, as I'm, they'd be kind of giving out to me, but I was kind of saying, guys, I'm teaching you a life skill because if you move away or move, go traveling around the world, you'll have to look after yourselves and be able to clean and cook and everything like that. And I don't want to be, I suppose, you know, I suppose we're all about gender balance and everything, but we definitely have to be look after ourselves. And I suppose, look, my husband is, I suppose, like this time of year is flat out um, with his own work with cows calving and everything like that. But I would say there has to be some kind of balance, mm. like definitely like having some, some kind of rotor. It shouldn't all definitely fall back and the woman that she has to do the cleaning, the ironing, the washing, everything. There should be some kind of a rotor, definitely. And someone like 
do you know, even the days that someone even just does the dishwasher, small things like that, it makes such a difference to the house. Hundred percent, hundred percent. But just and, job, yeah, but and it's, and, it's, and, it's, and to try to stop the arguments over it. Why didn't you oh, do this? Why? Yeah. I mean, it's Boy. just you know, there's, there's a lot more things that could be arguing over than who did the hoovering or who didn't do it. But I, but I do agree. I think yeah. some kind of a roster where everybody helps out. And very finally, I mentioned this earlier when I was talking about the referendum on gender equality for in the, within the constitution with, that we're expecting at the end of the year. I, I, no, I assume I know your answer. Are you in favour of Article 41.2 of the Constitution being deleted? And this is the one that says if women must work outside of the home, it mustn't be by economic necessity. But when they work outside the home, they mustn't neglect their duties in the home. Isn't it crazy to think that that's in our Constitution? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we're all about gender. Like Women are like, my God, when you see... Do you know, I suppose in the network, um, in my line of work, um, with businesses like women who are stepping up, um, do you know, they're still taking on, they're still taking on um, positions, they're still running a house, they're still running, like, in fairness, we're absolutely, I must say, we are super women, to be quite honest, to do what we do. Um, but do you know what, we're in a generation that we need, to, I suppose, and for our own daughters, and for our own ki- our grandkids coming up, do you know, we are well able and we sh- there should definitely be um, there should be equal opportunities for payment definitely. Yeah because it's only uh, I mentioned earlier it's only 50 years since the marriage yeah. bar was lifted I mean it's incredible to think you it's know most crazy. of us our parents would have been uh, our mothers would have been forced to give up work just because they fell in love yeah. with <laughs> it's just crazy yeah. crazy alright listen I, I, are you busy at um, White Sage? White Sage Recovery is very busy at is the moment, so okay. I'm travelling, like I, I suppose I travel from kind of an hour and a half each way, I suppose, from Clannacilty, so I have a lot of points, I've kind of dipped into Kerry a lot um, over the last kind of six months into um, Tipperary and Waterford, as well as Cork County, so yeah, it's been very busy. I, and and I always think, anne this time of year, springtime is a great time, yes. spring clean is there, for, isn't it? It's a great time to... It is, yeah. yeah. Great time to because do because a lot of people are thinking of you know freshening up the house. There's holy communions coming on. There's confirmations, and I think we all need a kind of a little loving push, Patricia, to have an event in the house to get us to get to get stuff done. I know, like last year when we were having um, holy communion, even for me to hang up pictures, I'd say they probably thought I had no children in the house <laughs> because you know, you know, we'd redecorate it, and I was like, oh, do you know what? I'm just order the frames and do this and this and this. But you know, we definitely need something in the back of our mind just to give us that nudge to just get tasks done and say right that's done but look with decluttering it's a continuous process and never stops but it's you just have to keep at it keep on top of it okay listen keep pleasure as always uh, to talk with you Anne-Marie thanks, thank, thank you for that and thanks for joining us that is uh, Anne-Marie Kingston of uh, White Sage uh, Decluttering but uh, joining us as president of Network Ireland West Cork to mark and to recognise International Women's Day if you are a lover of wine and a lover of travel then my next guest this morning will be of huge interest to you Fanula Harkin is from Clonakilty and along with her writer friend Maeve Bancroft. They're organising a wine tasting trip to Italy and Fanula joins me with all the details. Uh, good morning to you Fanula. Good morning Patricia, how You're, are you? I'm very, well, I'm very well, you're very welcome. Happy International Women's Day to you and all of that. Now, I Happy wonder, International I, Women's Day to you too. Okay, I want to start at the beginning here. We've all heard of the men's shed but you run the wine shed. Tell me about <laughs> Tell me about that. That's my kind of shed, really. And <laughs> so, mine, and mine. Well, the funny thing about it is that it's um, it's kind of like a crossover between the men's shed and the wine shed because 
my husband, Tim, is a carpenter. So he has this um, workshop near our home. And I got this idea one time because uh, I love wine, as you said, and uh, I uh, people would often ask me, I work for Wines Direct, who are an Irish company, and I would often do wine tastings in local restaurants. And people had often said to me, would you ever do a wine club or that type of thing? So I got this notion of the wine workshop in the workshop. So that's how the wine shed started. So it's literally, sometimes people are kind of surprised when they come and they're like, oh, it actually is a shed. So I basically set up around Tim's workshop, uh, around his bench, now, luckily, he's a very organized, neat kind of a person. Okay. So you're not likely to fall over like a saw or anything. It'll be kind of quite organized. He has them all hung up nicely. And then I just set this workbench with the best of glassware or, you know, a random collection of everything I find in the press. And then we just taste these um, six wines. And it's kind of like a little bit of learning because I describe the wines and I usually try to do different styles of wine that people mightn't have every day of the week. And, you know, you kind of learn a little bit. But the whole thing about wine is... That wine, as you know, is about sharing. You know, it's about pouring from the one bottle and everybody chatting about discussing, tasting. I do cheeses and charcuterie and stuff with it. So um, it's just a really nice convivial kind of an evening. Yeah, very, very sociable because you also ran the the Caravino. That was part of the West Cork Food Festival. That was in a caravan, wasn't it? It was, it was a caravan. So it was like a little Father Ted caravan that my friend Maeve, who, as I said, is a writer, and she bought the caravan as a little writing um, office workshop for herself. So she has it all decorated beautifully with fairy lights and, you know, nice curtains and everything. But we got this notion during the Taste of West Cork Festival to bring the caravan into the middle of Asna Square in Clonakilty. And we could sit, six people would fit in nice and neatly into the caravan and like that we served like a five course dinner and we did wines from like so I think the idea of this Tuscan trip came from that because we did the wines of Italy so we did this virtual tour of Italy but you were just actually sitting in a caravan in the middle of Clonakilty um, but you kind of went on, you went on a culinary and Venus journey around Italy with um, you know lovely Italian food lovely Italian wine and uh, we would describe all the all where everything came from, you know. And so, that, so people, sort of, so people now want to go come out of the caravan and they want to actually go to Tuscany. They want to go really to Tuscany, exactly. Okay. So that sort of was, was where it came from, and we got a notion then that you know after obviously we couldn't go anywhere for the last couple of years, it was very much a thing where people were dying to have something really nice to look forward to. So we've just taken this beautiful, beautiful luxury villa in the middle of the vineyards of Tuscany with a swimming pool and. You know, they have a local chef who's going to come in and cook lovely dinners. And then, like, as I was saying, I work for Wines Direct. So we we import wine from these small producers. So we're going to visit two of the producers that we work with over in Tuscany. So they're like small family owned vineyards. They both do like tastings with food and wine. One of them has a lovely restaurant. So we're going to go there and do sort of learn a little bit about the wines of Tuscany by going to visit the vineyards and then also having dinner in the gorgeous villa because the villa is so beautiful and it's we kind of very much like we don't want it to be a thing where we're going off somewhere every day it's going to be about really relaxing enjoying your surroundings and we've got a local chef who's going to come in and cook dinner with all the beautiful local produce and the local wine and then Maeve is a writer so she's going to do a couple of writing workshops so people can you know if their creative juices are inspired by the beautiful surroundings obviously it's such an artistic place as well that people can just sort of write their own memoirs or, you know, maybe be inspired to write a novel based on 
I think that's, I think that's a lovely idea to include the, the creative write shop, uh, workshop, even if they just do a diary of their trip. Literally, yeah, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Be yeah, fantastic. Yeah. And are you pitching it at couples? Are you pitching it at... This, this to me is something like a solo traveller could really get yeah, involved like, in. Totally, like, absolutely, Patricia. Like, the thing is that we, what we found is that um, we thought we might have, have, you know, couples as well. We do have couples, but it's mainly... Solo travelers, like, you know, a couple of friends who kind of sat down one night drinking wine and said, oh, we must go on a trip or we'd love to do this. Um, people who've promised themselves, uh, you know, to, to like made a promise to themselves to kind of fulfill something or to give themselves a treat. But we, it's, it's lovely for solo travelers because we do have a few solo travelers. And the great thing is you're in a group of like minded people. You know, you're, you're going alone, but you're not on your own. You've got a group of people who are into obviously the same thing as you because they've chosen to go to this trip in Tuscany about food and wine and writing. But also it's about, you know, you can relax and do your own thing if you want. Or you can be part you know, of the obviously group. Obviously, people just yeah, sit around I, and have a cup of coffee, with glass of wine, go for a walk. It'll be very special if somebody has a significant birthday that they really yes. want to do something a little bit different. I, I, I think yeah. this is this if you you know if as I said a lover of wine, lover of good food, and we're better to go than Tuscany in, in Italy. I, I mean, know, it just sounds a divine. Um, it's and, so it's so beautiful. And do you find following the pandemic there is this pent up uh, appetite for di- I think for different holidays. Yeah, like the the it's funny because I was just I noticed Connor Pope wrote in the in the paper there a couple of weeks ago about people going back to the sort of package holiday, but stuff not so much the package holiday, but things that are organised. Mm. You know that 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 the, the, you don't have to maybe make, make too much of it, not so much make too much of an effort, but a kind of a whole idea. You know, and for us, we thought that this idea that it's something that you can't really. I mean, you could if you were extremely wealthy, rent a whole big villa in Tuscany on your own, but it's a lovely opportunity to kind of live. A life that's sort of like, oh, this is me in my lovely fancy house. You know, that you, you, it's not just going to stay in a hotel. It's not just, you know, going to somewhere that you could, you, you know, that, we, that you could do quite easily. It's, it's a little bit different. It requires um, a little bit more, I suppose, from our point of view, that was why we kind of thought we're going to put this whole thing to, what would we love to do? I think Maeve and myself were like, what would we love? You know, and it was this idea of being away with with people who are into the same thing as you. Because not everybody's family is into the same thing as them. Not everybody, not every husband and wife is into the same yeah, thing. Yeah. And that's what we found, you know, that people are saying, look, my, my, my husband isn't into this at all or my wife isn't into this at all. This is what I'm into. And, and very Instagrammable photographs, I imagine, from the, the hills of Tuscany <laughs> yeah. while, you're, while you're in a villa. <laughs> and, and, and the food <laughs> photographs and all of that. Definitely very Insta-friendly. Very, very, very beautiful and very, just very inspiring. Even the thought of it now on on a day like today is, would warm you up. Yeah. Somebody says, where can one learn about wines as a beginner? People can get very intimidated, Fanula, about the whole idea of of wine. And if you're with somebody who really knows wines, it's like, oh God, I'll just stay quiet. Where where do you suggest somebody goes to learn? Well, I mean, in, in one way, like that's one of the things that I do about the wine shed is that I'll get a group of a lot of people will book in as a group together or you can come on your own, depending on what's happening. And it's very much about like I'm always joking with people saying you have to learn now 
you know, and I, every so often I'm thinking, saying, I'm going to tell you about this wine. You need to you need to learn a little bit more about it. Um, but it, I suppose, yeah, to learn, there's, I mean, there's lots of books out there that are fantastic. Um, Oz Clark, you know, he's one of the ones that I love and his books are very accessible. Um, and then you'll find around the place that there are sort of, um, again, Instagram is a great resource for people locally doing beginner wine courses. I know there's a lovely place in Cork, Latitude 51, it's a wine bar, and they do sort of beginner wine classes where you book in for four, you know, sessions. Mm. And again, it's it's not like a professional qualification, you know. Um, but in, in a way, I suppose that's, that is one of the things that the wine shed's about. It's like, I'm always saying, you can go, you can drink wine in your own house or your own shed if you want, but when you come here, you have to learn something. You have to go away having known something you didn't know when and, you came and in. It so does, it is a little bit about that. It doesn't always necessarily mean that the most expensive wine on a wine menu is going to be the best wine on that wine menu. No, like often what I find is that some places have a very famous name. Let's just say Chablis in France or Bordeaux, yeah. you know, they're like they're always personally, you can often in those regions find something better and cheaper that doesn't have the famous name, you know. So the famous name, there, there's a price tag on that straight away. So it's often just looking for ones from the less well-known regions. And that's all very well for me to say, because, you know, I, I know where they are. Mm. But I'm always saying to people as well, when you go to a restaurant, ask the staff, like a lot of the time in the restaurant, the staff do have knowledge, you know, but people are afraid to ask for help because they think, oh, my God, they're going to send me the dearest bottle on the list. What will I do if they show me a hundred euro bottle of wine? But I mean, most generally, they're not going to do that. They want you to have a nice night and they want you to enjoy what you're doing. But they very often would love to suggest something a bit different because, you know, we all have our usuals, be it the Pinot Grigio or the Sauvignon Blanc. But like the staff are often brilliant at saying, oh, why don't you try this um, Gruner Vasliner from Austria, which you would probably think, oh, I'm not going to try that. I can't even say it, you know. So that often asking for asking a little bit of um, uh, help and advice from people in the restaurant is a great way of of, uh, trying something different as well. I don't think I think I've ever even tasted an Austrian wine. Are Austria famous for wines? Well, they they have beautiful wines. Um, they have beautiful wines, kind of very crisp, fresh white wines. Um, they're gorgeous. And some beautiful red wines as well, you know. So, yeah, it's not a country that we have a lot of their wines here in Ireland. But, yeah, they're well worth trying, particularly well, the reds as well. But the whites are beautiful, very, you know, people are often afraid that wines are going to be sweet if they have a slightly mm. like Germanic sounding name because we're still traumatised from the Blue Nun days. <laughs> um, we're, like, we're kind oh, of afraid. The, oh, the thought of Blue Nun. <laughs> is that still on the market, by the way? It is. Oh. Uh, yeah, apparently they've rebranded. How and the... apparently it's not bad at all. Oh, so sure no disrespect to Blue Nun. Have yeah. you a favourite wine? What, what, if you were to be, or is that an impossible question for you to answer? It kind of is an impossible question for me to answer, but I suppose I am often drawn to Italian wines. I do love Italy. And, and one of the reasons I love Italian wines is because, you know, it's a very, very long country. So you can have everything from talking about Austria, like it borders Austria. So you can have crisp whites in the north. And then when you go down south to Sicily, you get these big, rich, robust Sicilian wines. Um, I'm a real fan of Valpolicella Ripasso. That's a, a really good one for people to look out for. It's called Ripasso is the style and it's a beautiful Italian wine. And I also love a really good Suave, which is from a region near Verona. So they would be be ones. That even sounds good. Is that a red or a white wine, a suave? The suave is a white and the Valpolicella Paso is a red. So I'm an equal opportunities drinker. Depending on, you know, the mood (laughs) and the food, um, I can go either way. And that is important, isn't it? How to match the wines, what you you know, whether it should be red or white, depending on what you're eating. 
Yeah, I think so. Like if you're eating a really delicate fish and you have a big, rich red wine, that's just going to overpower. Like the, the two things are not just going to work well together. Whereas when you have a nice, delicate wine with a delicate food or equally, if you're having a lamb shank cooked for like hours and hours with loads of spices and red wine, then you need a nice, big, rich red wine to go with that. If you have a kind of a an insipid um, red wine, it's just going to pay, you know, alongside the, the lovely, rich food. So I think often it's about... <clears throat> excuse me, the texture of the food. If it's light and fresh, light and fresh wines. And then food that's very heavily spicy, often, you know, that can overpower the wine as well. So sometimes if you have a wine that's, you know, too delicate with, with very, very robust food like that, the wine is just not going to have any, it's it's going to it's gonna be pointless. Okay, now you have us all so starving. It, it is nice. You know, us all starving and hanging for a glass of wine. So on that note, I have to leave it there. Where can people find out more about your Tuscany adventure? Well, I think the best thing is probably if you have a look at Instagram, I'm at Wineshed West Cork. Okay, at Wineshed West Cork. At Wineshed West Cork. And then our email is thecaravino at gmail.com. That's C-A-R-A-V-I-N-O. So thecaravino at at gmail.com as well. Really enjoyed our chat. Wineshed West Cork. I really Lovely. enjoyed our great, chat. Patricia. Thank yes, you, Fanula. Go thanks. and have a glass of wine I now. Mean, I wish I could. <laughs> thanks for that. Bye-bye. That is uh, uh, the, bye-bye. the wonderful uh, Fanula Harkin uh, joining us from the West Cork Wine Shed. 0818 103 103. Lines are open. Cork today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Make sure you're tuned to Martina O'Donoghue every day this week because she's got a wonderful prize uh, to give away. Prize she's giving away on Friday, but she's taking qualifiers every day this week. The prize is a two-night stay for Saturday, March 18th and Sunday, March 19th. So the weekend of St. Patrick's um, Day and the kind of the, it'll almost be like a festival weekend, uh, won't it? Uh, anyway, it's a, it's a two-night stay in one of the Garden Muse rooms, which is at Lissard Estate. It includes tickets to a very special St. Patrick's Weekend event which is happening on Saturday the 18th. Killa will be performing between 3 and 5 in the Walled Garden and then that will be followed by the Six Nations rugby match that we'll all be sitting down to watch. That's uh, Ireland taking on England. Then there's a barbecue uh, cooked to order by their executive uh, chef. Now every day this week because it's tied in with a rugby weekend. Martina will play the voice of a well-known Irish rugby player. The challenge for you is to work out who each individual rugby player is uh, and then you're in with the chance of becoming the daily qualifier which as I say the draw will be held on Friday so good luck to everybody involved uh, there and that's on Martina O'Donoghue's show from four o'clock today. Michael in Bantry by text Happy International Women's Day to my three incredible sisters says Michael. Michael and Bantry. That's really nice of you, Michael. Lisa, Fiona and Aoife. And Michael also wants to remember his late mother, Elizabeth, his late aunt, Marie, and his grandmother, Annie. Sadly, no longer with us, but he's thinking about them today on a day where we recognise women. That's a lovely text. Thank you for that, uh, Michael. Hope you're having a nice day yourself. We were talking about housing and talking about the ban, the eviction ban being lifted at the end of this month and what's going to happen to families and individuals and couples and parents 
pensioners. There are pensioners who are going to be trying to find, desperately trying to secure new accommodation. Patricia, what do you expect with all of the people that they've left into this uh, country? Where were they going to put them all? It is just madness that Rome will be on the streets. It's all wrong. Thanking you, uh, Patricia. And uh, listen, there's... There's asylum seekers who've arrived in this country, particularly anyone that arrived since probably around the middle of January, who are also sleeping on the streets. Uh, so it's, it's not just Irish people, but I suppose it's the lack of emergency accommodation is the thing that really has me worried with people looking for. We know, you know, something like 11,500 Irish people are living in emergency accommodation. I don't know if rough sleepers are included in that total or not, but people are living in hotels and in family hubs, etc. We just don't have enough of that type of emergency accommodation and there doesn't seem to be any answer I listened with great interest yesterday to every time the government were asked about ending the eviction ban and when they were asked about well, where are the people to go bearing in mind that daft.ie are pointing out there's only a little over a thousand properties for rent that's nationwide and if over well over a thousand people and it will be well over that number uh, will end up having to leave the current house they're renting because the landlord wants it back where are they all going to end up going you know are we are we going to be able to find enough emergency accommodation a lot of the hotels are saying they're giving up on the government contracts because they are they want to go back into working with tourists because obviously tourists now um, after the pandemic are certainly coming back to this country and, and Irish people themselves having staycations and people want places to stay and hotels can make obviously make more money out of tourists staying having contracts with the government so we're going to see less and less emergency accommodation. I don't know what the answer is. I really don't. And lots of the government ministers were asked yesterday, where will people go? Where will they stay? And nobody seemed to have the answer uh, to it. I'm really still still so, so worried about that when I heard the eviction ban was to end. Uh, thank you for your text to 086 to 103 103. And then when we were talking about housing and the cost of housing, it was Mossy in West Cork who sent in a text saying, you know, once upon a time, one income coming into a family, you could afford to buy a house, raise the family. But now we've got to the stage where you need two people uh, working. And even at that, it can be two people working along with help from the bank of, m- of mum and dad, just l- literally to put a roof over a couple's head. And that's unfortunately is the way it's been for a number of years. And somebody says, following on from Mossy's comments about needing two incomes to barely scrape by. If you if people are renting, you can be guaranteed one of their full incomes is simply going to pay the landlord's mortgage. We're in a country when those who have the money are able to get loans to buy multiple properties. Renters then end up paying the mortgage for that person because the banks deem them unsuitable for their own mortgage. We need to take profit out of housing. It's not a commodity. It is a necessity. And, and you are right on that. And that is a real dilemma that couples find themselves in if they're both working and can be working and earning good money, but because rent has gone so expensive, one whole income can literally just go to pay the rent to keep the roof over over their heads. So therefore, the other income is going to pay for all the other bills and to food and whatever else uh, is needed. So it's very hard 
to save a deposit and of course a deposit is needed and the bank needs to see that you're you're saving I can never understand why if you can clearly show well I've been renting for the last five years and I've paid this money every single month that why that isn't factored in when people go for mortgages but it, it, but couples are absolutely found find themselves in a real catch-22 uh, situation Hi Patricia I heard you talking about children uh, earlier on and people being able to afford children and how has children affected a woman's uh, career when I had no children and I was working five days a week. I was fully focused and I absolutely loved my job. Then I started to have a family and I needed to strike a balance and I found it very hard to find that balance between going to work, fully focused on the job and raising my my children. I wanted to spend time with my children but financially I have to work. I'm now down to four days a week but still even working four days a week it is so, so hard. We would have loved a third child but guess what? We simply can't afford it. The cost of living and child care like lots of people now it is so so incredibly hard yeah and then you add into trying to find that balance you add into what we spoke about the guilts if you have to take time off to be at home with a sick child you're feeling guilty because you're not in work and then you've all the guilts attached to you'd love to be at home spending more time with the children but you simply can't uh, do it yeah and you're not on your own so many people are in that very same situation and then I mentioned about the referendum on gender equality in the Constitution and were promised by the Theatre Glee of Radcliffe it's going to be held later this year but in particular they're going to take out well they're looking at taking out one, one of the articles of the Constitution and it's the article that references mothers should not should not by economic necessity be forced to work to the neglect of their duties in the home and a lot of women take offence to the fact to to the neglect of their duties in the home and people are saying you know what about gender equality what about men doing the duties in the home and that whole argument has been going on for years anyway and Maria's contact to say hi Patricia I always enjoy your show thank you for that but I'm particularly interested in the commentary about women in the home and the role of women in the home in the Irish constitution I disagree with how this clause is actually seen. I would remove the second half of this clause and that's the one about neglect of their duties in the home. So Amory says, I would take that second part out but the first part of the clause offers choice to women in saying that women who want to stay at home must not be forced into the workplace due to economic necessity. Recent research undertaken into mothers and their preference in relation to being home with their own children or being at work was very revealing. A majority said they would choose to be at home if they could afford it. This clause does not say that they must stay at home, but it does say that the state should support their right to stay at home. I wonder if a male-dominated doll wants to get rid of this clause because women ultimately could take a case to assert their right to choose to stay at home and then obviously the knock-on of that would require the state's financial support. Thanking you. That's a really good uh, point, Amory. And and I do agree. I, and I do think that part of the Constitution is the one about neglect of their duties in the home. I think that's the one that causes so much offence. But but you're right. And I mean, I only read out a comment. Um, there was no name on it from the listener with the two children who would love to be at home, would love to be able to stay at home full time, particularly when the children are younger. But when they're financially in a position 
position that they can't do it then they're forced to go to work and then that leads to all the things we were talking about earlier like the, the mammy guilts and that's not to say that daddies don't get guilts as well but uh, a lot more mothers seem to feel very guilty about being forced to go out to work and not being there to look after the children uh, like there will be a lot of debate I'm telling you before this referendum uh, happens we've got to see the, the text of the legislation has to come out first that obviously will be debated within the Oireachtas before then it eventually goes out uh, for a vote so the wording of it will be I will, we will await with interest Emery, to see what the wording will be but uh, thank you for your WhatsApp to 0862 103 103 now I have to say I didn't watch prime time uh, last night but I certainly will make a point of trying to catch it on the player today because the listener watched it last night and said prime time last night I watched in horror to this texter. It, it was to do with the nurf- nursing homes and the number of people that died in nursing homes. My heart went out to the woman from Cork watching her mother and then to be told that awful news, serious questions need to be addressed. This was inhumane treatment. Well done to the whistleblower that was interviewed. There must surely be people held uh, accountable. Well, we know we are to have um, a review, an inquiry into the handling of the COVID crisis and and the pandemic and in particular what happened in nursing homes and that's due to kick off in the middle of the year and that's going to be I think some of the stories that's going to come out from that because already on this programme I've spoken I've lost count now of the number of people who have contacted us talking about losing a much loved mother losing a much loved father family member and people having to die on their own and just people not getting any closure because of the way their loved one died during the pandemic so yeah there will be uh, will people be held accountable I don't know but even uh, you'd you'd like to think that a finger of I don't know if a finger of blame will even help uh, somebody but I think more than anything from the inquiry we have to learn to make sure that what went wrong during the pandemic will never ever happen again 0818 103 103 it is Wednesday which means Peter Dowdell our gardening expert will be joining us on the programme um, soon so if you've got a question for Peter you can get it in you can text or WhatsApp your questions as well to 0862 103 103 The C103 Cork Dial with Cork County Council, where communities and businesses all across the county can get the support they need at corkcoco.ie. If you're in the Bantry area, there's a little over half an hour left if you'd like to attend a very special coffee morning and cake sale. It's the Bantry Development and Tourism Association and they are celebrating International Women's Day with this coffee morning and cake sale. It's on now until one o'clock. It's in the Bantry Tourist Office. If you're passing, please pop in. Proceeds are going to the UNICEF Syria Turkey appeal. Entries are now being taken for the Mitchellstown Community Games. Anyone who's interested in taking part, Seamus is your contact 087 358 9734. The Barry Moore Players Drama Group in Castle Lines are having their annual general meeting tomorrow night. Castle Lines Hall, 8 o'clock. New members are welcome. And McCroom Flower and Garden Club, they're hosting a gardening talk with Sonia McGee. Now, Sonia is from Ballymaloo. That's also on tomorrow in Cool Cower House in McCroom. Starts at 8 o'clock. New members and visitors are welcome. And further details from 087. 9821702 and Clonakilty Community Resource Centre are holding a fundraising table quiz in Mick Finn's Bar tomorrow night 8 o'clock start tables of 4 40 euro please 
and monies raised will be used for the upkeep of the resource centre. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Promoter, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. This is Cork Today on C103. Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork Today at C103.ie. And thanks to Breather who says, uh, good to call out when you get good service. Fantastic service from the passport office, says Breather. I filled in the form online on Monday night last 6th of March on post delivered my new passport this morning on the 8th of March. That, yeah, that online service, if, if if particularly if it's just a renewal and I'm, I'm assuming it was just a renewal uh, and if you tick all the boxes and do everything right and get the photograph right and send it off, it's a terrific service. It really, really is a terrific service. service. And actually that's a, a it's a good time to mention to people if you are planning, say summer holidays and you are planning on travelling outside of Ireland to check the passport passports please because it's kind of one of those things you forget about it it's only when you pull out the passport to head to the airport and how many times have we heard of families heading to the airport only to discover one or somebody in the party has an out of date passport so it's a good reminder breather that you got your passport today in the post for all of us to check our passports 0818103103 on housing and the cost of housing and people trying to get out of private rented accommodation and desperately trying to buy their own house here's a story from Bill in Clonakilty who has two friends. Bill says both of them are, have really good jobs and they'd be bringing home between 60 and 70,000 euro uh, a year. They have tried eight times to get a mortgage and they've been turned down every time. They have no other outgoings. They both drive cars but both their cars are paid off but they cannot get approved for a mortgage for €280,000 and that's how much they need in the area where they want to buy. You won't get many houses for that price anyway at €280,000. Yet, says Bill, I have an aunt and uncle who are both in their 60s And if they decide to get a mortgage today, they can get one no problem. The reason being that they own their own house and they can put their own house up as collateral against another mortgage. Could the banks not take a chance on some of these young people? Change their policies. Put in a clause that if they don't repay, you know, if they don't keep up to date with their mortgage after five years, then the house can be taken, uh, taken from them. But explain that to people when they sign up. But if you have couples paying €18,000 a month for rent, then surely they can budget to pay uh, a mortgage. These are people hit by every other tax going, things like the universal social charge, uh, etc. Yeah, and the thing is, Bill... If they are, and I'm assuming that the, this couple that you know are, if that's what they're paying in rent, uh, €1,800, if they did manage to get a mortgage, that €1,800, their mortgage wouldn't even be €1,800 a month. It's it's just, it's that real catch-22 that young couples are finding themselves in. And they're just, I don't know what the answer uh, to it is, other than the banks need uh, to look again at how they lend money. And we don't want reckless lending. We saw what happened during the Celtic Tiger with re- reckless lending. And remember at one stage there was 110 mortgage that you could get. I mean, we certainly don't want to go back to that, but certainly we need to be cutting a bit of slack to young people who are trying to buy their own houses. Thanks for your call to 0818 103 103. I was really taken aback actually to read in the papers today that we here in Ireland, we have the highest level of uninsured drivers in the European Union. Isn't that a kind of a 
poll that you don't want to be at the top at the top of. We have we we are three times the rate of uninsured drivers on our road than our nearest neighbours in the UK, and we're four times the average across the European Union. And these figures are coming from the Motor Insurance Bureau of Ireland, and they're, they're actually bringing all these figures to the Oireachtas Committee on Transport and Communications. The Motor Insurance Bureau recently published research that showed. One in every 12 private vehicles on Irish roads are actually driving around with, without being insured. Last year, there was, there was a total of just under 188,000 private vehicles being driven without insurance in this country. And that was an increase from 13,500 the previous year. So it, it really, really uh, shot up. The Motor Insurance Bureau has... They're, they're a not-for-profit organisation and they're established to compensate victims of road traffic accidents, which obviously can be caused by some of those uninsured drivers or if there's an unidentified vehicle involved. So they did an analysis on the level of uninsured drivers in this country, but then they decided to look across the EU and they looked at the European economic area, which obviously then would include the UK and in Switzerland. And it came out here in Ireland that our figure for uninsured drivers is at 8 0.3% and that puts us at the highest level of uninsured drivers in the European Union. In the UK, the level of uninsured drivers is at 2.5%. France is at 2%. Croatia 1.4%. Romania 1.2%. Iceland and Sweden have under 1%, 0.7%. And Poland have, has as low as 0.3%. With Germany and Finland effectively having no uninsured vehicles on their road. Now, under Irish law, the penalties for driving without insurance, a valid insurance include the Gardaí having the power to seize the vehicle on, on the spot. There's also an automatic court appearance. You get five penalty points and obviously it comes with a substantial uh, fine. But David Fitzgerald, who's chief executive of the Motor Insurance Bureau of uh, Ireland, in advance of this, Iraq, this appearance said for Ireland to potentially be the worst country in the EU for uninsured cars should make everyone in this country concerned about the rule of law and road safety to make everybody sit up and take notice. He said it's a startling high figure and it shows how much of a problem uninsured driving has become or how big a problem uninsured driving has become in this country. He also said despite what people might suggest and think driving without insurance is not a victimless crime. It also makes our roads much more dangerous. Every year the Motor Insurance Bureau of Ireland pays out around 70 million euro in compensation to the victims of accidents which are caused by these uninsured drivers. And because of that, it means law-abiding motorists, all of us who do pay our insurance every year, we're subsidising those uninsured drivers. And it works out at between 30 and 35 euro every time you renew your motor insurance policy between 30 and 35 euro goes into this bureau and, and rightly so, it has to be there uh, for people who get involved in accident with an uninsured driver. But it isn't a victimless crime. We all end up paying for these people who decide to drive around recklessly without insurance. The Motor Insurance Bureau of Ireland is now pushing the government for the full implementation of what they call the new Irish Motor Insurance Database System. It wants a fully adopted and data to be used by Gardaí in their automatic number plate recognition system 
systems and to have new Garda mobility devices. What that would allow is uninsured drivers would be simply identified without even having to be stopped in the car and asked, do you have insurance? And it would enable Garda to check vehicles without even leaving their own cars because they already have the automatic uh, number plate recognition system. We just need the Garda to have the information to say if a car is insured or not. But they are startling figures, aren't they? 8.3% of every car on the road, uh, one in every 12 is not insured, coming out for 2022 at a figure of 188,000 drivers. I was really taken aback. I expected the figure to be high, but certainly for it not to be as high as that. And it's going up, as I say, with the figures having increased over 13,500 on the previous year. So it's something that's not going away. It's actually getting worse. 0818103103. If you have a gardening question, please get it into us now. You can text our WhatsApp gardening questions to Peter as well to 0862103103. Let's take a break and we'll talk with Peter next. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. This is the Court Today replay on C103. Peter Dowdle, theirishgardener.com, uh, joining us this afternoon. Good afternoon to you, Peter. Good afternoon, Trish. How are you? I'm very, I'm, I'm frozen with the cold. It's, it is bitterly cold, isn't it, at the moment? It's you and your nice, warm, cosy studio. <laughs> Come out to the garden and I'll tell you how cold it is. There's not a lot you can be doing in the garden on a day, a day like today. You're surely not out in the garden. Well, I'm trying my best to avoid it. Uh, I'm doing other things. We're, we're, we're packing seed potatoes and packing uh, summer flowering bulbs and roots, anything to try and stay warm. That's it. And, and dream of those long summer days ahead. I was reading in the papers today, it's a piece that is from the uh, Botanical Society of Britain and Ireland, showing that more than half of plants native to both Ireland and Britain have declined since the 1950s. Now they're saying it's because of agriculture, climate change and non-native invasive uh, species and it found that non-native plant species now outnumber our native ones. That's a real concern, isn't it? Well, you know, it's a huge conversation, Trish, and I was, I was up at the, the GLDA seminar in Dublin a couple of weeks ago. That's the, the Garden Landscape and Designers Association. So it's what also anoraks do on our time off. But um, like, it, it's not the first time that this, this has been an ongoing conversation now for many years. And of course, it's a huge concern that we're losing species before we've even found them, if you know what I mean. There's so many species that we've yet to discover that are now extinct. Um, but but the, the conversation is in terms of native and non-native. Obviously, it's, it's, it's a concern to have more non-native species here, but... If we, if, we, if, we strict, if we stick to purely native species, then I, I think, not being an ecologist and not being an expert, I'm, I'm a horticulturist, so it's, it's not actually... There's more involved in it. But I, I, I would think that uh, including non, obviously not the invasive species, but other non-native species, doesn't that just improve diversity? And doesn't like isn't shouldn't our ecosystem be constantly evolving and constantly changing? Like if we were to stick to what's purely native Irish, you know, you could probably name on one or two hands the amount of native Irish trees and native Irish plants. We don't have a huge pool to to, to go back to. Like most of the plants or many of the plants that we would all regard as quintessentially Irish are not native Irish plants. They're, they've naturalized. Beech, for example, isn't native. Um, fuchsias, as everybody knows, probably aren't native. So I, I just don't know. I mean, obviously the species extinction is, is probably the biggest concern along with climate change facing us. But I'm not sure how 
how important zoning in and being exclusively native is. Mm. I know the Sika spruce, that's the big conifer, isn't it? Mm. I know that that in mm. particular uh, was, was highlighted. Um, are, 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 you're not a fan of them anyway, are you? No, and that's very bad. That's just very bad land management and very bad forestry management where you have, like any forest should be a biodiverse wonderland. You know, it should be a mixture of broadleaf and coniferous species. These pretty pretty toxic and poisonous Sitka spruce uh, plantations are, are certainly not good for, for our environment or the greater landscape. No, it's all it's all about, in my opinion, diversity, you know, within the human population, but also within the, the plant and animal and and you know the the plant population it's about i think it's about diversity and the more species we can have forming the tapestry and repairing the tapestry then the better yeah yeah that's uh, that's exactly it okay let's get straight into questions staying on the cold weather at the moment Eamon has been on he uh, did his window boxes last weekend worried about them now in the cold spell uh, should he take them uh, down from the windows and put them into the shed during this current cold spell it depends what Eamon put into them, Trisha. So in other words, if you put in spring bedding, like, you know, your your little dwarf daffodil bulbs and primroses and, and maybe wallflowers and things like that, they'll all be fine during this cold spell, provided, depending on where he got his plants, you know what I mean? In other words, if they came from uh, indoors in a centrally heated supermarket and, and now they're outside in this temperature, no, they won't be okay. But if you got them from a, you know, a good local garden centre where they were growing outside already, then they should be fine. I don't imagine he's done his summer window boxes yet um, because it's just too early. You wouldn't get the plants and if you were even growing them by seed, they wouldn't be ready yet. So if, if if you were looking at summer bedding, yes, it's far too early. It's a couple of months too early. And yes, you would need to bring them in during this cold spell. But if you've been using spring spring bedding plants, you should be OK. They should be all right. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that's what he's done. It's spring bedding plants. OK, uh, Stephanie, and actually I, there's a couple of other questions similar to this. It's to do with trees that were recently cut down. Stephanie said they had some very large old trees that had to come down in her garden. Uh, she's looking for advice as to what to do with the stumps. They're hoping to cover them with some nice stones but she's wondering does she need to treat the stumps and what should she treat them with first? Well no you don't need to treat them with anything really depending, no, depending on what the trees were um, but the, the the chances are that the, those trees are dead now you've, you've removed the, the bulk of the tree so the stump is, will die off in its own time but for it to die off it depends on you know a host of bacteria and fungi to break it down and into nothing, which which won't happen in your or my lifetime, Trish. But um, there's nothing to treat it with. Like there's nothing. There's no point pouring any chemical on it because it's not going to make it magically disappear, or it won't make it decompose any quicker. In fact, it'll probably slow it down because it's poisoning the the microorganisms in the soil. Um, so really, it's just leave well alone. Now, uh, a, a decaying stump like that does become a, a kind of trap for fungi. Now, most fungi in our garden are are incredibly beneficial, but you do run the risk of something like honey fungus getting a hold in there. But in truth, there's really very little you can do about that. OK, and the idea of covering it with stones, nice stones, is that a good idea? I think so. I think it is a nice idea. Absolutely. I, I, I quite I know people will laugh at me, but I actually find stumps quite attractive. So do I. can be quite attractive. So yeah, do I. Yeah. And I love when the fungi grow on it. That adds to it as well. I think so too, yeah. But covering it with stones is a nice idea too, yeah. certainly. Okay, Mary in Mill Street. Uh, would it be okay to move a thumb, thumb? It's three feet tall. Uh, is now the right time to be moving it? 
well, I, I hate to tell Mary this, but not only is now the, not the right time to move it because we've gone too too far into the growing season, but actually pittosporums, which Tom Thumb is a variety of pittosporum, pittosporums just will not move successfully anyway, I'm afraid. Um, unless if it was planted within the last 12 months, I'd say yes. But if it's any longer than that, they just don't like to be moved, I'm afraid. So sorry to have a bad answer for you on that one. OK, get to love, love it where it is. Helen in Bishopstown has a Grisolinia hedge. It's She reckons it's planted about 40 years ago ago always been very healthy except for this winter part of it has died off she heard you a couple of weeks ago saying to use copper sulfate she's wondering did she hear correct if so how do I use it when do you take out the roots of the parts that have died do you have to dig it out as well because could the area where the part that died would the earth underneath it also be infected with whatever killed it off well, I suppose yes and yes and yes, if you like. So <laughs> you can't give a 100% answer to this question without seeing it, obviously. So maybe maybe bring a photograph to your local garden centre of, of the hedge, of the healthy hedge and of the dead parts of it and if, as many photographs as possible to, to give a fella a chance to, to be able to diagnose what it is. Um, so it could be just a bit of winter dieback. So it might not be anything too serious. Just give it time, maybe give it a feed. But it sound does sound more like it's some type of fungal infection, which is which can uh, take out random plants in, in an established hedge. Um, you're, if it's a very established hedge and if the, if the dead bits aren't that huge, it might be enough just to remove the dead plant uh, roots and all. Yes, in answer to that part of the question. Um, and it, the, the established hedge could knit itself in anyway and could fill it up all on its own. If not, if you need to replace it, I'd be slow enough to replace it with the same species, you see, because yes, whatever probably fungal spores or pathogens are in the soil or killed it or will also be in the soil so could could spread and yes a, a drench of the soil and of the surrounding hedge with a solution of copper sulfate and water will do it no end of good it, it, it'll work as a, a kind of broad spectrum fungicide but it's, it's okay for use organically um in a way to prevent that that infection getting hold again Okay, hi, uh, Peter. Is it too late to cut back wild roses? They're gone very leggy and wild. It's from a West Cork listener. No, not at all. Uh, and you're, you're a bit late, I suppose, in the honest answer to the question, but it's better now to do it. It's not that late, and it's better to do it now than not at all. So, yes, I would. Okay, and I love these kind of questions when they, when they come in. They come in every now and again. Uh, it's uh, Somebody's contacted us to say their much-loved granny's house uh, is up for sale in the in the coming weeks and, and uh, months. And she was a big lover of roses. We've all decided to take one of the rose bushes and take them to our own garden. Advice, please, on moving them. Some of the roses are very old. Would we be better off just leaving them? Yes, yes, and no. I suppose the vague answer. To, if we could rewind by even four or five weeks, and you ask me that question, I'd say do it now. We we are getting a bit late. The cold temperatures now we're actually playing into their hands because it's slowing growth. It's it's putting that plant back into a bit of dormancy. So you want to lift the rose bushes when they're totally dormant. Totally, there, there's no growth at all in them, um, which is normally kind of November to February. We're just a couple of weeks too late. But I would say, I mean, for the reasons you want to move them, I would risk it. I would try it. Get as much of a root ball. Now, they're taprooted, the, the roses, big, long taproot. So get as much of the root out as you can. Cut it back very, very hard. Don't be scared of, you won't kill the rose by pruning it too hard. Don't worry. So cut it back very, very hard. Get as much of the root out as possible. Don't have it out of the ground for any length of time. So in other words, 
Uh, if it's traveling a great distance, put it into a bag or a pot full of damp soil uh, and then into its new home as soon as possible after that. And and say a prayer to your granny and whatever God you believe in and hope for <laughs> the best. That and idea. I, but I would say yeah. they'll come well. Yeah, and I think it's it's just a lovely, lovely thing to have then forevermore to have the roses in, in your own gardens. OK, and uh, Nuala is m- moving, as she says, to the beautiful wilds of West Cork. There is a wall by the house that faces the sea. Will anything, pla- what could she plant there or will anything survive because it faces the sea? I'm not going to even hazard an answer with that one because in my experience, and I'm at, I'm at this a long time, Trish, coastal gardens are the most challenging of all. They're, you know, living on, as, as she describes, with the beautiful wilds of West Cork, uh, one of the nicest parts of the planet, but horticulturally challenging in, in places when you're overlooking the Atlantic. So your your best your your best rule of thumb here is uh, have a look at what's growing in neighbours' gardens or in different parts of your own garden and take your lead from that. You've got to work with nature here uh, and see what does grow around the place. Um, but I, I'm not going to give more of a specific answer okay. to that. I'm afraid because you're gonna I could end up giving the wrong advice. Yeah, and that's a good tip. Look, look to see what's growing in somebody else's garden because you know it's going to work well in in where you are. Well, well, equally you might be disillusioned to see nothing growing in your neighbour's <laughs> garden, but you've got to take that as well. You know. <laughs> Hopefully not. Okay, have a good have yeah. a good week. Stay warm. And, and you, thanks, Trish. And we'll talk to you next week. That is uh, Peter Dowdle, theirishgardener.com. Just some of your texts uh, in on the uninsured drivers that I mentioned. And I was just completely taken aback by the number of uninsured uh, drivers. I reckon one in 12 cars on our roads currently uninsured. Hi, Patricia. We are, yes, we are all paying for the uninsured drivers. But surely it's all now down to enforcement. We never see Gardaí checking insurance like they used to do before. Remember when we were always stopped usually at the start of the month wasn't it with the tax etc why do we not see that happening anymore is it lack of guardie I don't know with all the technology available now it all seems so uh, wrong that we could even be talking about uninsured drivers on our roads and then John says I hear you talking about people driving without insurance where are the guards I have a neighbour driving his car home from the pub two nights a week full of drink with the past few years, no checkpoints. That's much more of a worry. Bring back the old school policing style. And that's from John. Somebody has suggested to give it of the stump. There's a project called SBK. It's available in Atkins and it deals specifically with the breakdown of stumps. Uh, you can get it in either powder or liquid form and it can also be solved by placing a black plastic cover over the stump to prevent light. And that helps as well. OK, thank you for that. That's what I've got to leave you for today. Thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. Nick with you for the afternoon. Talk to you tomorrow. Today C103 with Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. 